You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. I'm Carolee Carmelo, and you're listening to The Fabulous Invalid. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast, where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself. Always deemed on the verge of decline, yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left at NYC and host of Stage Left, the podcast, which you can also find on the Broadway Podcast Network. And I recommend that you do. It's quite good. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie happens to produce it with me. So. <laughs> well, yeah. But I'd be a fan either way. I, mean, oh, I, 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 I think it's great. And I, I love what you guys talk about. I get to sit in the room, which is a real treat. Yeah. Um, what's hard for me is I don't get to use my big mouth. Right. <laughs> um, it's particularly hard when Casey Mink is in the room because yeah. I pretty much agree with everything she says. <laughs> no, I wanna... yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been fun to have a, to create a platform for younger theater critics and journalists to, to talk because you know, it doesn't really exist. It's fun and it's important. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, I, that's I why think, we started it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, but that's not what we're here to talk no, about today. No, 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 no. So last week we had the incredible pleasure of uh, taking a little field trip out to Philadelphia. Pleasure or privilege? Privilege, honor, all the above. Um, to catch the uh, the national tour of Hello Dolly, which uh, is in its final weeks now, um, and we uh, we had seen it in August when we interviewed Betty Buckley for the show, uh, first episode of the season. If you didn't listen to it, go back and check it out. Um, and that was up in Boston, and so we went the other way to Philly and um, got to see Carolee Carmelo. Oh, Carolee Carmelo. Carolee Carmelo, who I've been obsessed with since I was, I don't know, 12 years old. You don't get to own that, my friend. What? I think we all I didn't say I was are... owning it. I was just giving some context. Oh, all right. All right. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to jump down your throat. Um, wow. I'm obsessed with her, too. Yeah, yeah. But well, there's probably lots... less so than you. I mean, like, I feel like when we first met, you were like, you worked Carolee Carmelo into the conversation. Right. No, well, of course. Yeah. Which um, is, you know, good. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, you and I have had, I think as has any serious musical theater fan, such a relationship with Hello, Dolly, and specifically this production. Um, you know, when it was announced that it was coming to Broadway, which is hard to believe, what was like four years ago, um, I was so excited because this is a show that, you know, sort of got me hooked on the theater uh, to begin with. Um, and Bette Midler, obviously headlining that revival, was so electric and so exciting. And it was just... You know, it was such a gorgeous, perfect... It was everything you wanted in a revival of Hello, Dolly. Even before one got to see the revival, just the... Just the, the art. The, the, well, the, <laughs> the art, but the, the just the idea of Bette Midler back on Broadway as Dolly Levi, it yeah. just was like, you could just picture it. Yeah. It just, you saw what it was. Oh, it yeah. was exciting. Oh, yeah. And then it's been just such a journey to go from, you know, seeing Bette Midler to Donna Murphy, who played Tuesdays, <sighs> who I, of course, uh, we had her on in the second episode of this show. Check well, it out. <laughs> unbeknownst to us at the time, because we didn't know each other, we were both 
in the audience oh, for Donna right. Murphy's first performance, that's which was right. the Monday after the Tony Awards yes. of whatever year that was, 2017. 2017, yeah, it was yeah. after the election. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously Bernadette Peters uh, and then Betty Buckley on tour, uh, which was so thrilling, and now Carolee Cremello yeah, is closing out the tour. And it's funny, when they announced that the show was closing on Broadway and that Bette Midler was coming back to close it, literally one of the first thoughts that came into my mind was, oh no, we'll never get to see Carolee Carmelo do it. You know, like that's how obsessed I am. Rob, <laughs> Rob is always casting Carolee in something. Well, yes, uh, as are casting directors. Right. She works nonstop. She works uh, all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, we, in preparation for that interview, I went back and looked at her bio and I kept remembering, oh yeah, that's right, she did this. Oh, that's right, she did this. She's been in 15 Broadway shows. You're gonna tell us what some of them are? Yeah, she made her Broadway debut in City of Angels and then quickly left to go uh, headline the national tour of uh, chess in 1990, um, but she was in falsettos on Broadway and also on tour, 1776, uh, which I also saw her, that was in 1997, that revival, but I also saw her uh, do a one-night-only concert of an all-female, 1776, at 54 Below. She played John Adams, and she was unbelievable. Can we see that production on Broadway, please? I mean, I'm hoping that is the production that's coming to Broadway, fingers crossed. Um, but then she was a replacement in um, The Scarlet Pimpernel, obviously Parade, Jason Robert Brown's musical from 1998 that she was Tony nominated for and should have won. She should have won. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to the person that won that year, but I feel I mean, that it was Carolee's love award. Parade. Love Parade. Her DNA is in that part and it always will be. Oh, I can't, so frank. I can't uh, really imagine a production with without her right? in it. Yeah. Although uh, we do want another production. Well, we want all the productions of Parade. Uh, but you know, Kiss Me Kate, You're in Town, Mamma Mia. She was in Mamma Mia for four years on Broadway. It's a long time. It's a long time. Um, as Donna Sheridan. Uh, she was in Lestat, The Addams Family, Sister Act, Scandalous. Uh, Sister which, Act with Jennifer, Jennifer Samard, Samard, of course. Of who course. currently stars on Broadway in Company. Uh, by company Jennifer. starring Jennifer <laughs> Samard. <laughs> and some other people, yeah. but <laughs> I know, I'm just so our listeners know, I'm going to be saying that. Yeah, every episode from now on. Forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just to round out her Broadway credits, um, she was in Finding Neverland and Tuck Everlasting. Oh, Tuck Everlasting. Right? Um, but she works nonstop because, as we know, theater isn't just Broadway. Um, you know, she did Gypsy in Sacramento last year. Uh, she's doing this national tour of Hello, Dolly. I mean, she's unstoppable. And she, you know, she can play anything. If that, that roster of shows proves anything, it's that... Carolee Carmelo can do anything. <laughs> can I just say, can I just, can I, can I peek behind the curtain just a little bit, Rob? Please do. So when we, we obviously we, we're recording this after the fact, so yes. we saw the show, as yes. you all know. And the minute Carolee, like barely <laughs> through, I put my hand in and she does this very signature Carolee vocal maneuver. Mm -hmm. And not, as it happened, not only did I feel Rob's entire body body warm up. <laughs> he like started nudging me. I nudged like you. he I was so nudge. excited. Yeah, it was and a little aggressive, but <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I'm okay with an aggressive nudge, but right. it was just, I, and I knew exactly what you were feeling because I was feeling it too. I wasn't yeah. physically abusing you <laughs> over it, but I did have the same reaction. And I think everyone in the theater had that same yeah. reaction. There's just something about the tenor of her voice and the way she the power, mm -hmm. even in a quiet moment, that yeah. is unparalleled. Yeah. It, she's magnificent. Yeah. Well, you're going to hear a little of her voice coming up because I, you know, because because we can. Of course, exactly. I'm going to exercise that right. Um, fabulous. Well, let's get to that interview. We had the best time chatting with her backstage. She was very generous to sit down with us before going on uh, backstage at the Academy of Music in Philadelphia, um, and it was a fun interview. 
It was. Okay, here we go. Let's do it. Under separate cover are ten cartons and a trunk. And the bicycle you had sent home from England. And the shirts your mother mentioned, although some of them had shrunk. And some old assorted junk. And the best part of my life as your first and only wife. And the firm belief that love has gone Thank you so much, Carly, for joining us today. You're welcome. We're backstage at the Academy of Music in the Ormandy Room. Which is Are we? Very fancy. Is it Eugene? Eugene. Oh, it is Eugene Ormandy. Eugene, there he yes. is. He's a handsome fella. He's, yeah. he's looking over our shoulder. There Hi, you Eugene. <laughs> well, as you enter your final month of this tour of, of Hello, Dolly, um, what has it been like slipping into this iconic role? Um, let's see. I, I don't know if I would say slipped. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it took a lot of work, but in, and it's an amazing role. It's so well written. It's it's such a pleasure to do every night because it's just such good material. Mm. You know, you don't often get that. I shouldn't say that. You don't always get that, I should say, because, you know, there, there are some shows that, that I've done in my past that take a little more coaxing to, to tell the story of, but this one is so well laid out and, and so well directed by Jerry Zach, so it's a pleasure. Um, but yeah, there's a certain amount of pressure <laughs> slipping into that red dress. You mm-hmm. know, there's, there's so many amazing, iconic women that have played this role, so um, I just try to you know, filter it through my sensibilities and hope that it comes out with some version that's acceptable to people. <laughs> <laughs> Can you pinpoint what you think makes your dolly your dolly? What makes your dolly special or unique to you? I'm not good at that, at pinpointing things that are good about myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh, I mean, I think her humor is so important and I, I think I, I bring that to the table. I think... The other part of her that I find so fascinating in the writing is her vulnerability. You know, I mean, there's all those great Thornton Wilder monologues that that are part of the show that were in the original Matchmaker play. I'm sure people know that, but I just throw that out. Rob, um, Rob has read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, so when she's you know, in that sort of private space and kind of communicating with mm. her deceased husband, you see a different side of her that's very, you know, sort of um, sad in a way and, and vulnerable. And and I hope that I'm able to tap into that because I think that's an important thing for the audience to see. She's not just this kind of steamroller bombast that comes through. I mean, that's, in a way, that's sort of her... I mean, it's her talent, but it's also her defense mechanism in a way, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. as as we all do, we have this public face and a private face. And so I guess I, I hope that I bring both of those to the equation. Mm-hmm. And she wants the one thing that she provides for other people. She just wants companionship and, and love and comfort and a place to go at night. Yeah, don't we all? Yeah, I think it's <laughs> universal. Well, I think it's like what you said a moment ago. The book is so good. Yeah. The book is timeless. The jokes are very funny. It it Michael Stewart really, really knew what he was doing when he when he when he crafted this story from the Thornton Wilder play. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, some of those Music, musicals from the golden age don't have as strong a book, you know, mm-hmm. and and this one really does. And and I was surprised when I started working on it how funny it really was, yeah. you know, because you think sometimes those older shows, 
the jokes are kind of, eh, okay, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll crank this one out and hope <laughs> that a certain part of the audience will appreciate it. But, but we have audiences of all ages and we have, you know, of course, people who have seen the show before, but lots of people who had never seen it, who mm -hmm. stay at the stage door and say, I had no idea. This is such a great show. Yeah. It's so funny. So yeah, it's a pleasure and it's been really fun to bring it around the country. Um, especially at this this time in the world when we all need a little joy and a little <laughs> escape. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, that was going to be actually my next question, which is, you know, I when the show was on Broadway in 2017, it was sort of like my salve after the 2016 election. Like what the world happened was falling. In the 2016 right? election? <laughs> you might want to look that up. Yeah, okay. <laughs> check um, that out later. Um, not do it, much. Do it after the show. Do it after the show. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it really was something that I, you know, I went as, as many times as I could because it brought such joy to my life in a time that just felt so bleak. And touring the show, you know, we're still in a moment where every day the news, you know, no matter what side you're on, everybody feels attacked by the news. Um, Absolutely. What, what, and not just politics. I mean, now we right. have the coronavirus exactly. attacking us, and you know, there's all kinds of right. stuff going on. So, yeah, this this show is is. You're right. It's it's very filled with joy and mm. it, it appeals to all kinds of, you know, political parties and mm. ages. And there's something really kind of magical about the way it lifts your spirit. Yeah. Have you, have you felt a sort of a, a yearning or an openness on the part of the audience as you've traveled across the country to experience a show like this? I think so. I mean, it's a little hard, uh, to know exactly what's going on in, in their minds, but I certainly feel you know, we feel embraced mm. when we're on stage. We feel like people are appreciating the show and um, lots of people wait afterwards to say yeah. hi, which is great. Some people dress up as Dolly Levi, they which do. is great. Yeah, we've had that <laughs> a, a few cosplay. times. Yeah. A little bit. Wow. Um, I enjoy that. Uh, yeah, I think people are yeah. are welcoming and, and sort of in need of it, you know? Right, yeah. right. I find that shows like this do well at at times in the world when you know lots of things are going on i did mamma mia for a long time um and that happened to open right after september 11th right. and i think it's also one of those shows that you just kind of go oh, okay a few hours where i can just you know sort of watch these pretty colors and listen to these pretty songs and and right. just smile and you know mm. i might not do that any other time in my day right. i apologize you feel that <coughs> seeing me so tense no self-confidence but you see the it all. It suggests that part of the initial success of the show was that it was in the wake of the Kennedy assassination and that the country was in this moment of, you know, loss and turmoil and mm -hmm. that Hello Dolly stepped in and, you know, was part of 
the healing of yeah, the Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that there's there's a need for that kind of art when mm. we're in these crisis moments. Yeah. Well, we, we already alluded to the play, The Matchmaker, mm -hmm. which I know you just said you read. Um, what else did you do to prepare for, for this role? Oh, well, I hadn't seen the show in mm. New York, so that would have been a good preparation, <laughs> but I didn't get to do that. Um, I came to a couple of stops on the tour, Washington, D.C. and Boston, and mm -hmm. watched the show with Betty Buckley. Uh. And uh, what else did I do? You know, I, I'm a believer in, like, I don't feel like I have to block out other people's performances in a mm. way to like create mine. So I watch things on YouTube that I could find, yeah. you know, from different amazing women that had done the role over the years and just to see kind of what their take was. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't able to find like huge chunks of it, but I saw little clips of Carol Channing and little <laughs> clips of, you know, Pearl Bailey and, mm. Ginger Rogers and all kinds of people that had done it. That's the amazing thing to me about this show too, that so many different kinds of women can can be successful at it. You know, it's it's just one of those roles that you can kind of put your own stamp on and mm. it still works. The material still sort of conforms to you. There's a really interesting production on YouTube that was done in Germany where um, all of a sudden they when they're when you're traveling from Yonkers to New York all of a sudden all these cowboys and Indians come out and they start doing this Western dance because you know in Germany that's sort of their idea of what America is like of course <laughs> I don't think between I've ever, New York City and Yonkers. and Yonkers yeah so I don't think I've ever seen any cowboys or Indians in Tarrytown but they may well, be there it was the yeah. 1800s yeah. so maybe um, did wow Betty, did, I didn't see that one yeah I look for that it, yeah it, 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 it's you might fall down a rabbit hole you'll you'll regret <laughs> but, um, so did Betty Buckley have any advice for you before you took over the role um she yeah she had a few sort of technical things that she told me about you know watch out for the headdress when you're coming through doorways and <laughs> right. stuff like that. Um, and she, you know, of course, because she's so devoted to her craft, she took copious notes and she like offered to show me all her notes, which was lovely that, you know, things that Jerry had told her about the character and stuff like that. So I read through everything and, and of course her dolly was very different, uh, from mine. So, um, yeah, it was really helpful to see and really helpful to talk to her because she's, you know, she's amazingly talented. And, <laughs> of course, you have to listen to people yeah. who, you know, <laughs> whose shoulders you step on. Right, yeah. Well, now, now that you've been doing it for a bit, do you have a, a favorite moment or song in the show that you just mm, it changes. love every night? Yeah. Um, right now I'm loving So Long, Deary, which is sort of the... I guess you could say kind of the 11 o'clock number. Um, it's not a song that I really was that familiar with before. Yeah. And I don't think it's one of the songs that people necessarily think of when they think of Hello, Dolly. But it's just a fun sort of vaudeville moment right. that, you know, I don't get to do the kind of song and dance <laughs> thing very often. Uh, I'm usually sort of, um, I mean, I do sometimes get cast in comedies, but a lot of times I get cast more in the, kind of, you know, put upon wife or the, you know. <laughs> the caterer from next door. Well, yeah, that's true. But she didn't have a cane and a hat either. No, no, no. Just some mittens, some oven mitts. Exactly. 
Um, you you mentioned earlier all the other dollies that had come before you, and we've noticed as long with the world on Instagram that you've been paying tribute to many of these ladies. How did that start? Um, it's fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. It's been so fun. Uh, <laughs> how did it start? Well, we we did early on. I think we were in St. Louis. Maybe we did a photo shoot for the new company that was coming in because there were lots of new people. When I started in September, I think half the cast changed. So we did a little photo shoot and one of the photos they had me do was that one of Carol Channing sort of hugging the cash, cash register. register um, which it's was a little lumpy, the... but it rings. Exactly. <laughs> he knows it. Um, I liked the idea of that, but I wasn't super crazy about how the photo came out. So I was like, I'm going to take one of my own. <laughs> That's a little more because I didn't. I didn't really know that photo well enough when we took that picture, and they were just sort of like, "Here, put your hand here, put your hand there," and it was <laughs> all very quick. And afterwards, I was like, "Oh, I see what they were trying to do." So I took one of my own a few weeks later, and then I was like, "This is kind of a cool idea." Just sort of all these great photos that exist yeah. over the past, you know, seventy years since the <laughs> show opened. So. Yeah, that's how it started, and then I decided to kind of make it a thing. Have, do you have? Do have you planned what your final one will be? No. Do you have an idea? <laughs> no, I'm trying I, to figure it out. I, I kind of go week to week. Jamie spends hours just pouring through photos online from old, old production photos. It's like his I, his dirty little secret. Yeah, <laughs> you know what my big go to is the New York Public Library website. Oh. They have all the photos, all the Martha Swope, all the like everything. Really? It's you, and and they have photos that like you know that you wouldn't expect. They have production shots, but then they also have like random things Backstage like stage like <laughs> I really am on it a lot. Two days ago, I, there were all these notes from Michael Bennett that oh, wow. from a course line. Yeah, like all these handwritten notes, like oh rehearsal notes and things. Yeah, I, I it was a very scary rabbit hole that I found <laughs> that day. Anyway, that um, someone had taken a photo of, of the and notes, then, and, then, yeah. and then and then and then. It's Archive. part of the archive yeah. at the library, and it's just digitally And you can out there. access it on their website. Yeah, you just, <gasps> you just, just go. I had no Hours idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I can send you a link for that, and if I, okay. think, and if I think of a photo for a final one, because yeah. um, I'll, I'll let you know if I have an idea. <laughs> okay. But, well, since you've been doing the show since uh, September, mm-hmm. um, something very monumental has happened, and that was the passing of Jerry Herman yes. in December. I'm wondering if that has changed the experience at all as, as you've gone along. I don't know if it's changed it, but it it certainly has made us all in the cast, I think, very aware of how special the show is yeah. and how special an experience it is to to do this show right now. You know, I, I'm sad that I never got to meet him. We were kind of hoping that when we were in Florida, we might mm. be able to meet him. But, um, but for, by all accounts, he was just a lovely, joy-filled fun person and yeah. that really shows in his writing um yeah. so yeah it was sad and and it happened when we were on a little break we had a we had a layoff for a week so we weren't even all together, together. to yeah. sort of celebrate his life but when we came back on tuesday you know we talked about it and we had a little kind of you know gathering to say yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Well, the amazing thing is that, you know, people can come see Hello, Dolly, right? I mean, you know, as a way of celebrating him and his music. His legacy will go on forever because he wrote some amazing shows. Yeah, yeah. Well, we want to travel back a little bit in time to the beginning of your career, which you began on Broadway in City of Angels. True. And um, I'm curious, how did that come about? 
Um, I just auditioned for it. I don't, I don't know if I even had an agent at that point. <laughs> I auditioned for a an understudy slot, um, and so when I was first cast, I was covering D. Hody and Kay McClelland, who were two of the leads in the show, um, and. I had one line in the show. It was a very, very small part. It wasn't like most Broadway shows where there's like a singing, dancing chorus. Mm. I literally had one line as a maid and then came on for the final scene where everybody was on stage. So um, then a few months later, I was cast in the national tour of chess. And so I left City of Angels really quickly. Like I was the first person to leave, even before the cast album was recorded. So I'm not on the cast album. Really? Yeah, oh. it was really quick. I think I yeah. gave notice like two weeks after we opened or yeah. something. Um, and I don't regret that because the National Tour of Chess was an amazing experience, you know, and to play that role and to to have a sort of first class national tour of that show that was pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, but you then I was able to go back to City of Angels and play Uli uh, mm. and close the show. So I did like the last, I don't know, nine months of the run. That must have been a nice little homecoming. It was. It was really nice. And I love the show. And I'm, I'm thinking this, this revival that's happening in London is probably going to be pretty exciting. I'm going next week. I can't <gasps> wait. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to London specifically to see that production. Are you really? Yeah. I'm surprised there hasn't been a revival well, that's already. Why. I mean, I've, I've loved the album since I, you know, first listened to it years ago. And mm -hmm. I've just I've been waiting for production. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous. Have yeah. a good time. Curious. Um, one of the things that I mean, as as a huge fan of yours and a devotee of your your oh my career, um, <laughs> you know, the th one of the things that people think of when they think of you is your voice, right? Oh. How unique and incredible it is. Yeah, when did nice. you discover your voice? When did you know that you had this this incredible voice? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. I. Still don't feel like it's an incredible voice, but um, oh, oh it is. Oh, thank you. <laughs> apparently, I was singing. In fact, the, it's it's kind of an ironic story because I was apparently singing as a one-year-old, which I have a a vague sort of you know how we have memories of our toddler years that are sort of like a weird kind of foggy mm. sort of flash. Um, but I remember standing in my grandmother's house in one of the bedrooms and singing for a group of relatives when I was, apparently I was about a year and a half, and the song I was singing was Hello, Dolly. <gasps> what? Yeah, so it's the first song I ever sang, apparently, for an audience. <laughs> um, and then audience. I just kind of, you know, other things drew me. You know, I was... Uh, an athlete in high school and I was a business major in college mm. and I didn't really think about singing much. I mean, it, you know, it, I think it didn't occur to me that you could make a living singing. And it wasn't until after college really that, um, I sort of had that moment of, huh, I guess I could try to do this. And it happened because I was, uh, I was cat, I was doing some community theater during college just as a lark. <laughs> and as a result of that, I was offered a summer job where I was, um, 
I had to join the Actors Union. And at that moment, the producer said to me, you know, this is a this is a thing. Like, you, if you want to do this for a living, you have to join this union. And I was like, what? <laughs> do it for a living? And so I said, well, I, all right, I'll give it a try. And, and then I moved to New York after that summer and sort of just dove in with no singing lessons and no acting lessons and just kind of trying to wing it as I went. <laughs> so I don't think there was a moment when, hey, yeah. I can sing. Right, yeah. Yeah. Sort of a slow discovery over yeah, no, I many didn't. years. Right. Yeah. You don't know this man. You don't know a thing. You come here with these horrifying stories, these Conceits, and you say you understand how a man's heart beats, and you don't know a thing. I've heard that you're not a big fan of the rehearsal process. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> I that, hate rehearsals. Has that always been the case, or did that sort of evolve over time? No, that's always been it's the always case. It's always been the case. Yeah. 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 I just don't. I don't You'd rather know. do it. Yeah. Just get that. Get, I get like, out. Well, so that's interesting. Do you find that things change more outside of the rehearsal room? So once you get on the stage, is that when you really discover and get into the meat of it? Or are you able to actually do that in the rehearsal room? I'm able to do it in the rehearsal room. Um, and of course, some things evolve, especially with comedy. I mm. think things evolve over time a little bit. But I'm not a big one for like changing things every night. You know, I, I've definitely worked with actors who enjoy sort of mixing it up day to day. And that's not me. I'm more, you know, I figure out which version of it works the best and then I stick to that. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is exactly about the rehearsal process that I don't like, but um, I don't know. I, I, I like knowing, I guess, I guess it's, the, it's the knowing. It's knowing what I need to do to accomplish my, my job for the day. And in a rehearsal process, you're, it's still so like uncomfortable and, and not figured out yet. And I don't like that feeling. I yeah. like to know when I start the show, I know exact, I know all my lines. I know what's going to happen. I know where the laughs are mm. and I enjoy the audience response, which in a rehearsal room, right. you know, of course you don't get. Especially with a comedy, it's hard to rehearse when no one's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and you can also over-rehearse comedy, right? You can, you can, there's a point at which it, you, you can't rehearse it anymore, right? You just have to kind of start doing it. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we were definitely not over-rehearsed for this, but um, I suppose that is true. Um, and there's definitely a point also where you, you, you need the audience to tell you which things are working and how far, you know, how high to raise your, raise your voice <laughs> on a certain line or how, you know, how much to throw your arm on a certain line. Um, and that, you know, that gets fine-tuned over the, the run, I think. But I, I would think specifically with Dolly and the Harmonia Gardens, the food scene, mm -hmm. I would imagine that that's the kind of thing that you really need the audience to help you figure out what's working and what's not working. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it, it, it was very choreographed. The, the, the eating part of the scene was very choreographed. Um, and I, I was very sort of <laughs> skeptical about it. I was like, really? Is this going to be funny? <laughs> this works? I, <laughs> are you sure? Um, but yeah, the audience, the audience tells you what, what is happening out there. And, 
Um, Now that you're nearing the end of your run in Dolly, can you tell us what you're eating? No, because my company (laughs) manager is right here. I was instructed in the very beginning that I'm never allowed to talk about that. It's like a big trade secret, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently it's been the same thing since Carol Channing. So yeah. So people have been keeping it. I have an idea of what I think she was eating. (laughs) So maybe maybe when we turn the mics off, I'll tell you I'll tell you what I think I know. And you can you can just smile or not. Well apparently in the very, very beginning, Carol Channing was eating cotton. Candy. Yes, yes, that's what, yes. And yes. then there there came a time, I don't know how far into the run, but she was having some blood sugar issues oh. and they had to change it. Right. So whoever was working on the show at the time, and I forget the man's name, but I think he was the prop master in the Broadway run. And he went through a number of things and yeah. figured out what would work. So, yeah. And that's what you're theoretically doing to this day. Yep. Wow. Okay. That I didn't know. I thought actually it had changed for this revival. That's really interesting. Okay. I, I actually feel <laughs> That's like- That's what I, I've been told. Oh. Now I could be wrong. No, no, no. I'm sure you're right. I'm, I just, I feel very satisfied in this answer. <laughs> yeah. and I, I didn't think I would be. No, I thought I was going to walk away going, she didn't tell me. But now I feel, I feel good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, you've said before that creating the role of Lucille Frank in Parade- was your greatest theatrical experience. Is that still true? Because that was a couple years ago that you said that. And um, what about that experience made it so special and meaningful to you? Oh, gosh. I guess it's still true because, you know, it was the first time that I really created something from the beginning to the end. Mm. You know, I had never had that experience before where I was in an original Broadway cast and I had done the readings and, you know, the, the preparation before the show and um, and also the fact that it, it was such a um, the role is just so interesting first of all because it, it was a true story and I mean we don't know exactly what happened between Lucille and Leo but that relationship is so interesting to mm-hmm. me and the fact that she became so strong over the course of, you know, of his life at a time when women were not really expected to do that, certainly in the South and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's so beautifully written. I mean, talk about a great book by Alfred Urey, you know, who's just such a wonderful playwright. And a magical score. Oh, my God. And, you know, Jason was like 12 when he wrote that <laughs> right. score. And I remember one of the first readings when he um, first played, um, I think it was uh, the duet that he had first played for for us when we were doing the reading in Philadelphia, um, which happened in 95, I think, because my daughter had just been born. Oh, it would have been 96, because I had to stop breastfeeding. I remember that, because I was like, I am going to Philadelphia, so you better learn to take a bottle. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Jason played this song, and it was all the waste of time. And I, I remember just going, how does this come out of this kid? I mean, he... I, I think he was 22 or 23, yeah. and where does this come from? You know, this kind of depth and soul and heartache and hope and you know, it's just uh, it still blows my mind that yeah. that that score came out of him at such a young age and and that it's just so brilliant. Yeah. 
chance to go to a panel discussion at the New York Public Library about Parade recently. Oh, yeah? And it was Jason and Alfred and, and um, uh, a moderator. And he played parts of the score for us and explained, you know, how he wrote it. And it was so fascinating because as a consumer of it, you know, you, you know that there are things that are operating on a level that you can't necessarily articulate, right? right. But to hear the, 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 the composer actually, you know, play the notes for you and say, okay, this shows up here and then it shows up later there, right? Like, I think it was Do It Alone. That oh. melody is like buried in the opening number or something. I, I forget the, the exact thing, oh, but it I was... I wish I could have been there. <laughs> they asked me to come actually oh, oh, to okay. that discussion yeah. and yeah. I was on the road, so I right. couldn't make it. Yeah, but it was yeah. so fascinating. And you think it just, it's just the craft, right? The craft behind it. <sighs> wow. I mean, yeah, talk about a craftsman. I mean, right. yeah, he's really brilliant. <laughs> and that I, was so, the second show, right? Wasn't Songs, after Songs for, Songs New, World, for right? a New World was yeah. before Parade. So it was, that, yeah. yeah. I don't know what was, what was in between, if there's yeah. anything in between that. Yeah. But yeah. He's well, you've brilliant. had the chance to work with, I mean, basically every major composer you can think of in the musical theater, right? Over I've the course of your career. I've been very lucky. William Finn, Michael John Lacusa, mm. Andrew Lippa, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I've been very, very lucky to work with some amazing yeah. people. Was it, is it true that um, Sweeney Todd was your first time doing a Sondheim show? Or at um, least on, you know, in New in York? In New York, yes. The only other one I did was Company out mm. at, um, there was a Nederlander Theater, I don't think it exists anymore, outside of Detroit, that used mm. to do a lot of um, musicals. And when I was probably 26, I did yeah. Marta. Yeah. I think, is that her name, Marta, yeah, who sings Marta. another hundred people? people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was my only other Sondheim. Sondheim, yeah. Well, I was fortunate to see you do it. Oh, yeah. And um, what was amazing to me is it's a show that everyone knows so well, right? right. I mean, it's Sweeney Todd. Um, and yet, in the intimacy of the Barrow Street Theater, and given your performance, it felt like I was seeing it for the first time. And especially the, you know, the the comedy written into Mrs. Lovett's songs, you know, the Boris Pies in London and the little mm -hmm. priest, um, just the little thing that I've thought about in the years since is how, how you were able to make those jokes feel like you were thinking of them in the moment. Oh, they felt so you. fresh and so, you know, um, so real. Oh, I appreciate that. That was, <laughs> that was, um, an amazing experience yeah. because that production was so cool and so different, you know, from what people were expecting, I think. I mean, you usually see uh, Sweeney with like a giant chorus and that huge wall of sound, right. which is also very effective. But this was effective in a different way because it was kind of, you felt like you were right in the room with everyone, mm -hmm. you know, and that it, it just made it a little more threatening, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It makes you lean in in a different way, too. Yeah. You know, it makes you really hear things that you wouldn't normally hear in a, in, in, in a, in a intimate way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was thrilled to be a part of that and, <laughs> and to do that role. That was, that was really an amazing experience. Yeah. Well, you've, um, over the course of your career, you've been in 14 Broadway shows, six national tours. I never counted the tours. Okay, we, I believe we did, you. We, we, we did, did some math on 95 driving down here. And, you know, you've played, you know, the gambit of leading ladies, right? From Dolly Levi to Donna Sheridan, Mrs. Lovett, Mama Rose you've done. Yeah, I just got to do that last yeah. summer. Yeah. Uh, I was jealous I didn't get to go see it. Um, is there a leading lady that you've yet to tackle that you'd like to play? Um, and is there one that sort of got away? 
oh, there's lots that got away. <laughs> um, the one that the one that I haven't done that people have been talking about a little bit is Mame, mm. um, which doesn't get done as often. Yeah. I think probably the the book is a little more dated than you know than Dolly. It just probably needs. It wasn't a little, Michael Stewart. <laughs> yeah, it needs a little freshening. But or Thornton um, Wilder, for that matter. Right. Yeah. Um, well, it was Patrick know. Dennis. I mean, okay. don't yeah, don't yeah. don't count him out. <laughs> but yes, it is. There it's are problems. There are problems with it's some just, of the book. Yeah. yeah. It, it needs a little, a little <laughs> tweaking, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do Rose again, actually, because mm. that was I did it last summer in Sacramento, which right. was so much fun. But it was really quick. Too. I can't really think of anything that exists right, right now, but I would love to do something new, you mm. know, do, I, I would hope that maybe, you know, in the way that great composers wrote roles for Ethel Merman and, you know, Angela Lansbury when they were in their fifties, I, I hope at some point someone will write a great role for, for those of us in our middle ages. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it seems like we're in a trend toward, you know, people in their twenties. So yeah. I'm going to have to musicals wait. right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. I think I'm going to have to wait a little bit for that. But. I keep joking. I keep waiting for Broadway to graduate from high school. <laughs> You know, because every season it's like, oh, another show is set in high school. Okay. Well, no, they're, 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 they're great, but they it's just like, They are great, and know. it's wonderful to bring young people yes, into the theater, which for years, you know, didn't really happen. Right, right. So, but, yeah, but maybe someone will start writing for women of a certain age again. It's yeah. time for graduate school. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. I yeah, yeah. Well, we know you have to, a show to do, so we want yes. to be uh, very mindful of your time, but we do have one final question, unless nope. I've missed no, no. something. What was that show or thing that made you want to go into show business? Was there a specific moment that you thought, oh, I can do this. I want to do this. The one that pops in my head, and it, it didn't really immediately make me go into show business, but I think it was the time that I saw Evita on Broadway. Mm. I grew up in upstate New York, and I didn't really go to Broadway shows as a kid. But when I was in college, I think, was when I saw um, that production, which was amazing and brilliant and like nothing I had ever seen before. Um, and Al I Prince, you know? Yeah, <laughs> he knew how to do it. Um, I think watching that, I was kind of like, huh. So she's like, she's a storyteller. She's a singer. She's, you know, dancing a little bit. She's really powerful, you know, all of that appealed to me. And I don't think I really in, in that moment as a college student went, Hey, I can do that because I don't think if someone had asked me that now, back then I would have said, no, I can't do that. But there was something that got stirred, I think Mm. that came out a little bit later. And I didn't have a lot of theatrical experiences as a kid, you know, like seeing things. I think the movie musicals that were on TV were probably the closest thing. You know, I watched Sound of Music every year and 1776 movie and West Side Story movie. And that was my exposure to theater, really. So I didn't really understand that 
you know, you could be in a room with live people and live musicians and, you know, hear the, hear a story like that. And make a career out of it. Yeah, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) You are succeeding. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you guys. (laughs) He is an honest man. And you don't know. Not from me, not from anyone who knows him. Not a morsel, not a crumb, not a clue. I have nothing more to say to you. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. As I mentioned at the top, and we talked about it in our interview, Jamie and I sat down with the great Carolee Carmelo in the Eugene Ormandy Room of the Academy of Music in Philadelphia. You may be wondering, what is the Academy of Music? And perhaps more importantly, who is Eugene Ormandy? Well, the Academy of Music is an historic concert hall and opera house in downtown Philadelphia. President Franklin Pierce laid the cornerstone in 1855, making it the oldest opera house in the United States that is still used for its original purpose in continuous use since it opened in 1857, hosting world-famous performers, conductors, and composers, and productions of operas and, later, musicals. Over the years, the stage has borne witness to Susan B. Anthony making the case for women's suffrage, Tchaikovsky conducting his score to The Nutcracker, and the recording of the music for the groundbreaking Disney feature Fantasia. During World War II, the basement was home to a stage door canteen. Today, the venue is home of the Pennsylvania Ballet and Opera Philadelphia. It was also home to the Philadelphia Orchestra from its inception in 1900 until 2001, when the orchestra moved to the new Kimmel Center for the Performing Arts right next door. The Philadelphia Orchestra still retains ownership of the Academy. Remember Eugene Ormandy? Well, he served as music director of the Philadelphia Orchestra for 44 years, one of the longest tenures enjoyed by any conductor with a single orchestra. An immigrant from Hungary who was an accomplished violinist, as a conductor he was known for championing late Romantic and early 20th century music. He put the Philadelphia Orchestra on the map and produced countless recordings, earning the orchestra three gold records and two Grammy Awards. Oddly enough, though, the orchestra never recorded from the stage of the Academy of Music, opting for other venues. But as Jamie and I experienced, the auditorium is absolutely gorgeous, marking an early example of American Baroque revival architecture. It's also been remarkably restored and cared for over the years. While Broadway is composed of 41 theaters, mostly built in the first three decades of the 20th century by a handful of architects, and all roughly the same seat range and configuration, one of the fun things about touring a big musical like Hello, Dolly! is seeing all the grand 19th century opera houses that are in cities all across America. Unlike Broadway, they're bigger and more diverse in design and decoration. If you ever have a chance to see a show at the Academy of Music in Philadelphia, make sure you take advantage. Rob here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. Be sure to check out Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits tackling today's most pressing issues, from every town for gun safety to Planned Parenthood of New York, the Special Olympics, and more. Best of all, we've partnered with Social Goods to offer a special discount for listeners of The Fabulous Invalid. Go to social-goods.com and use the code FAB15 at checkout to receive 15% off your first order. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. 
The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Jamie Dumont and Aaron Kaufman. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Once upon a It's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.